Welcome to Power Tools to Success. This is a show about overcoming adversity and making a difference. Your host, Philip Rampisa, interviews guests from all walks of life to help you succeed. Hello everyone, my name is Philip Rampisa. Welcome to Power Tools to Success. This is a show where we give you all the tools that you need in order to achieve your goals. It doesn't matter what your goals are, whether they are financial, about your career, or personal goals, Power Tools to Success is there to help you succeed. Today's topic is quite interesting because we're going to be talking about something that affects all of us, leadership. What is great leadership and how can you become more effective as a leader? I'm going to be talking to a friend of mine that I've known for a number of years and who's been in leadership positions for more than a decade. I'm going to be talking to Abu Rengi Nongovela, who is a friend of mine and has been in a number of leadership positions. And he's written quite an interesting article uh, that he published on LinkedIn. To lead is to love. That is the title of the article that he's written. And there's a number of things he said there that we're going to go through and that I'm sure are going to help you in your journey as a leader and in becoming a great leader that is effective and that is getting results. Uh, Abu Rengi, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, I'm quite happy that you are here today because I'm quite impressed with you. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you, uh, Philip. Um, yeah, and hello to your listeners. I was quite happy to get the invitation. It's always good to share one's thoughts. So I'm really looking forward to the conversation. I've sort of been buzzing all day, waiting to sort of deep dive into what we mean by to lead is to love. So yeah, again, thank you for inviting me to come to your podcast. It's an amazing podcast. So I really cannot wait to be part of it. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, we're going to get into it, but I think, before we get right into it and, and your article and what you've written and what you've observed to be effective leadership, I think it's important for people to know that you've been in leadership positions for more than a decade and you've observed what's great leadership and what, what, what's not great leadership. But just by way of interest, I am interested in knowing throughout your career and, and things you've done, when did you start thinking about leadership and what works and what doesn't work? At which point did you start? Because I know, especially for many people that uh, have been through corporate and before they started their own businesses, um, at some point when you're starting out, you're not even thinking about leadership. But as you get involved and you interact with executives, you begin to observe the patterns and you begin to see what is effective leadership. I am interested in knowing that personally for you, when did it start? When did you start thinking about what is great leadership and what is effective and what works and what doesn't work? Yes, that's such a, a good and deep question. I've tried for many years to figure out the difference between leadership and management. Um, so yes, for the last decade, I have been in, leadership roles um, but I think for the majority of that time it was more management than leadership but at times telling the difference between the two is quite difficult when I started thinking about 
management or leadership um, on a more serious level, I think it was about seven years ago, as much as I had been in leadership roles, I was a, a specialist. So I'm a trained geologist. So being a senior geologist means there's someone who reports to you at a junior level, but you're really leading as a specialist. It was only when I had an opportunity to lead a multidisciplinary team that I realized that I needed to slightly step away from my technical or my specialty role to start thinking about management slash leadership as a, a discipline in itself. That's when you start seeing that how people engage and interact within a team and how they relate to you as their leader has such a huge impact on the quality of work that they get to deliver. So to answer your question, I'd say for the last seven years, I've been thinking about management slash leadership as a specialty area that needs to be studied, understood before it can be mastered. Uh, the latter being really, really difficult because I think very few people get to a point where they can say, I now master leadership. It's a very dynamic thing. It's a malleable concept. So one has to constantly be reading up, observing those that are not better per se, but those that have been in the game for longer, people that you admire, etc. Um, but yeah, in, in short, five to seven years, I think is the, the time span where I've been really studying the concept and trying to get better at it. Yeah, and it is interesting how in corporate, <laughs> specialized people get um, leadership positions. And I, I remember Tom Peters in one of his talks, which you interviewed in your podcast. Um, I mean, he said only... <laughs> <laughs> only in corporate do people get to leadership positions only because they are good at doing something that is particular. And in leadership positions, you've got to deal with people. So you might be good in IT or be technical, but it doesn't mean you'll be good with, with people. It is quite interesting um, how that happens in, 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 in corporate. So you've written an article, which was it is quite profound. And the title of the article is To Lead is is to love. I wish this was a book. When I read it on LinkedIn, I wished it was a book. It was just that beautiful. You've got the, the writing and, and all of that. So just the article itself is interesting. To lead is to love. I mean, how, how do you make the combination between the two? Because I think on daily basis, when we are, you know, busy getting work done, we hardly think about love and we hardly contrast love to leadership. I mean, what what did you mean by that? I'm really loving the, the questions. Um, I've got this big smile on my face as the questions are coming through. <laughs> um, to lead is to love. The last three years, say two and a half, I had an opportunity to lead a team of about 20 people from diverse backgrounds, different races, different genders. And as their leader, it was really difficult to, to get to a point where 
the team is functioning as one complete whole until one day I really started thinking about what it will take to get first the different team members to really believe in the deliverables that we have set and the direction that we want to take. And I realized that I would go home, talk to my son, then I'll go to work, speak to a colleague. And I started noticing that there isn't a big difference between the family that we have at home versus the family that we have in the workplace. When people come to work, no matter how skilled they are, most people are coming to work with personal issues that need to be addressed first before they can bring their full selves to work. And I realized that if I could spend half the time that I have understanding what people are coming to work with in terms of what their burdens are, if I could spend half my time unlocking that, then the other half that relates to work kind of takes care of itself. And when you start attaching yourself to the people that you lead at a personal level, you will be amazed at not only the commitment, but you'll be amazed at how far people are willing to go to ensure that not only do they deliver, but to ensure that they support you as their manager, their leader, because you have gotten them to a safe space where they can talk about their personal issues, but in so doing, it allows them to, to feel loved. And I, I use that word in a really broad sense. If you cannot love your team, I don't know how you can lead that team. Then it becomes a very transactional conversation. And I think when it comes to leadership, if you opt for the transactional approach, what you can do is quite limited. But if you can dig deeper and touch people's hearts, lead from the heart, connect with not only who they are, but the challenges that they face at home and everywhere else, man, the sky is the limit. You, there's nothing you cannot do if you can connect with people at that level. So to lead is to love for me comes from that. Learn to love the people you lead. And love means take interest in who they are as people. Take interest in what's happening in their lives. And if there's a small part you can play in that, the rewards you reap in terms of deliverables at work are unlimited. Uh, so the, the title, uh, Philip, really comes from that realization. Love your people and they'll love you back and you'll enjoy the benefits thereof. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you've put it succinctly. And I'm just thinking there are people that <laughs> feel like it's better to deal with machines because they can tell you when the petrol is running out. But people do get a bit complex. But and in a way that you explain it, I mean, I, I really get that because then I, I suppose you'll win people's hearts and 
And, and it's amazing with love. I guess people just love you back. And when they love you back, they'll just deliver, you know. And in simplicity, that's just how I think about it. One of the questions that are, are coming to my mind, I mean, a particular question is, in a corporate environment, whether you're building an entrepreneurial business or you have some office or if it's a big corporate it's so hard to sort of work this into the culture that is in corporate. Is there anything that you would advise maybe uh, people that have influence or people that are running businesses? Is there any advice that you can give them in terms of how they can work this kind of leadership style into their culture or into their, um, I mean, you've already said that if you take the time to talk to the people, it, it helps, but I think in some cultures in corporate, the culture doesn't really allow that. What is your advice in terms of those businesses that need to improve in this area? How can they do it and where should they start? Because I think it is important and much as it is important, it's important. Um, it'll be, it'll be very important for us to know how this can be implemented in many businesses. How I think about that question is so i think about the impact that the former ceo of apple steve jobs had on not only the company but the people that he led so most reports you read on steve jobs will tell you about how bad he treated his people how abrasive he was but the people that he he considered close or people that were in his inner circle, the top leadership, as much as from a distance, it may have appeared like he, he was brash and he treated them harshly. Some of those individuals stayed with him for three decades, 30 years, from the Apple One to the revolutionary Apple Two, all the way to 2007 when we got the, the Apple um the, the iPhone rather why did they stay if they if we as outsiders viewed this person Steve Jobs as a, a harsh individual the reason they stayed if you really go deep into how Steve Jobs approached leadership first if there was a serious thing that needed to be discussed he would ask you to go for a walk I really wish most corporate leaders could do that. The difference between sitting in a boardroom, a dry, gray boardroom, having a conversation with someone very transactional and saying, let's take a walk, let's go for coffee, let's go have lunch, let's just take a one hour walk. The difference between those two approaches is huge. Steve chose the latter, let's go for a walk. And if he really needed to talk to you about something even more important, he would invite you to his home for dinner. You'll get to meet his wife, you'll have a conversation, take a walk in the garden. What was he doing? He was connecting with the individual and allowing the individual to understand him fully, not only as his boss in the office, but as his leader in the fullest possible sense if more corporate leaders could do that 
I think we will see a different culture within corporates. Uh, but how we think about it, man, I've got back-to-back meetings all day. I don't have time for a walk. Some of the mem- most memorable moments that I had with my team was just taking walks. Sometimes you're going round and round in circles, but you outside the boardroom environment. You're having a conversation. It's chilled. You're laughing. But by the time you get back to the office, the progress you've made in getting that person on-sided, it's something that you cannot replicate in the boardroom. So in one sentence, Philip, I, I really wish more leaders could just go for walks, not because it's something that Mr. Jobs did successfully, but because it allows you to connect with those that you lead in a different way. It says to them, I am your equal. You can talk to me. We are out in this beautiful environment. The birds are chirping, etc. Talk to me. Boardroom settings, you can't get that. Um, so that's really my view and that I like to think about Steve Jobs a lot when it comes to that. Yeah, I mean, that is so powerful. And I I think in, in all our business endeavors, sometimes we forget the power of just human connection. And um, you've mentioned Steve Jobs and Walks, but what I'm also taking from what you are saying is really the efforts for us uh, to try and connect with people as human beings, because at the end of the day, you might be like a CEO or a banker or a financier or, you know, a, a big engineer or whatever. But it's just best to connect with people in the human level because after, I mean, behind all the titles, it's the human that's there. And if you connect with people, then you get results. Um, I love what you say, um, um, uh, Abu Rengui. So, now, you've also said in your article that the leader's most important role is recruitment. And wow, I would have thought that as a leader, you just need to deliver results and make sure the company is profitable. But you say the most important role of a, of a leader is recruitment. Please explain that. Who you bring into the team has such a big impact on first the chemistry of the team, the uh, dynamics that result from bringing that person. So an example, if you're a leader, you find an individual with excellent technical skills, but you don't take the time to understand how that person functions. And upon recruiting the individual, you later learn that, yes, this person is excellent on the technical side, but he or she is quite destructive as a team member. If you get that decision wrong, first firing a person from a role is not only difficult, but it's time consuming. So you stuck with that person for a long time. If the person is really destructive, they're negative, they engage in gossip, then one person, if we use a team of 20, is now impacting 20 people and possibly undoing all the work that you've done to build that team. A team is 
the dynamism within a team, it's really difficult for a manager or a leader to, to keep intact. It's really important that people within the team get along, that there is an energy and that energy needs to be protected. But there has to be an energy where every team member feels safe. There is trust, there is transparency, no backstabbing. If you can set up a team like that, you win games. You, if you have a team like that, then you bring person X and person X is destructive. It doesn't matter how good you are from that moment on at building a team. That person is going to destroy what you've built. And again, it's hard to remove someone from a team. So you may be looking at a two, three-year journey. Uh, that's a long time to lose and to sort of trying to be putting out fires all the time. So take the time to, yes, the person has technical skills, but in my view, how that person perceives the world is way more important than the skills that they bring on the technical side. You can train someone on skills. You can send them to a class for five days and they pick up the skills. It's really difficult to modify a person's personality. That's a tough job. If you can avoid having to do that by appointing people with the right mindset, people with a, a teamwork mentality and who love people and they'll get along with the team that you have, then you don't have to worry about those dynamics. Then you can just focus on the deliverables. But if you get that decision wrong, man, your role or your job as a manager or leader has just become even tougher. That's what I meant by that. You must take the time you need to take to recruit the right fit for the role for the sake of the team. Yeah, and I mean, uh, listening to the things you've mentioned, it almost to, sounds to me, and so far in the interview we've had, um, is it, it almost sounds to me like in order to become a great leader, you've got to, to avoid the usual managerial behaviors or things that we do because as, you know, managerial people, because, I mean, if you've got to spend time in recruiting instead of just looking at what HR is giving you and looking at the skills, you've got to take the time to try and understand what the person you're recruiting brings to your chemistry, but also you need to spend time with your team take those walks it's almost like it almost sounds to me like you mustn't be caught up in this in in the managerial duties because i think they'll just you know take a lot of your time and you'll avoid doing this other things or maybe you need to make time to to lead do you think being managerial and being leaderful is competes um, in a normal day you know in a normal work day for everyone that's in a leadership position what is your view between balancing management and leadership? And your questions are really, really good. So broadly, there are two kinds of managers. You get a manager who's excellent at the technical staff and they've risen to the positions that they occupy because they're excellent at doing that job. That manager then relies on the, their technical expertise, 
for people to follow just purely on the technical side. That works when you have a small team, in my view. One or two people, yes, they'll follow you at the technical expert. Once your team grows beyond a certain number, let's call it seven or eight, you can no longer rely on leading by technical expertise. You almost have to set aside your technical expertise, pack it, delegate it to someone. They can probably do a better job. They have more time. And then focus on the dynamics of leadership. Um, you know, by the time I stepped away from corporate, I'll joke and say I no longer have any technical skills. Because for many years, I stopped doing that. I became a reviewer. I became fascinated by <laughs> ensuring that you maintain harmony within the team, that you're observing the dynamics and you're getting ahead of those dynamics before they become problems. So I think depending on the size of the team you have, you have to step away, if you can, from the technical stuff, delegate. Delegation being one of the critical skills that, it, in my view, good leaders have, the ability to delegate, delegate to someone else. Give yourself time to think about, first, what makes the team tick. Think about bigger business goals. Be a visionary. Inspire your team to want to do more. There's no way you can be in the weeds typing Excel formulas. There's no way you can do that and still be inspirational. I'm sure there are a few people who have, um, who have that ability, but broadly speaking, you kind of have to step away and say, now I am a leader. I'm going to think about the vision. I'm going to think about business goals. I'm going to think about how to make sure that my people are happy, they're healthy, they're looking forward to coming to work and lead. You may feel like you're doing nothing, but perhaps that is the job of a leader to make work feel like it's nothing because you have cleared the path, you've removed the stumbling blocks, and now your people can deliver. You just lay out the, the red carpet and allow people to shine. I think that's yeah. the role of a leader. Yeah, and I think that leads to one of the things that you've also mentioned. You, you, you mentioned that the best, the best referee remains um, unnoticed, and um, and and further on, in uh, you've also mentioned that leadership does not mean domination. And I think constantly, most of us still perceive leadership to mean domination. What, why did you say what you what, what you've mentioned, um, uh, Abu Rengi? What, what what does it mean to you? Because I think there's so much of an expectation that as a leader, you must be vocal, you must be present, you must dominate and you must shout at times. And, you know, um, can you please explain that to us? What, what was your experience in terms, in terms of this? So I'll address two things. First, the, the referee bit. And it goes back to, to lead is to love. If you can find a way to love your team, then when your team does well, 
you will allow them to shine because it's coming from a, a place of love. So that's the one thing. The bit about the referee remaining unnoticed, if you are the leader or the manager and you remain at center stage in every conversation when your team is around, they can't speak because you have the loudest voice, you know better, etc. You're repressing your team. They cannot express themselves. You're not allowing them to speak. So are you really leading? You essentially taking all their credit and just shining. It's about you, the leader. The best leaders I found know when to take the back seat. They will talk to their teams prior to a big engagement. They will go through the necessary rehearsals or dry runs. They will identify who needs to play what role. Then when game time comes and you're presenting to the executive team, their role is purely to introduce their team and allow them the team that is to play their roles. More often than not, anyway, the team knows better than you, the manager. They are specialists in their different fields. So that's the one thing. The domination part largely refers or relates to that. I think it's very old school, the whole military approach to leadership. I think it's old school. <laughs> in 2021, you want to inspire people to want to be better. You cannot be instructing professionals. Professionals know what needs to be done. They merely just need direction. Your job is to set that and then give them the tools to succeed. No need to dominate anyone. They're specialists, they're professionals. Clear the path, remove the hurdles, let them shine. Your job then becomes to just be the cheerleader. Be that guy sitting at the back. Take pride in the work that your team does. That, to me, is a good leader. Backseat, support, and just celebrate the success of what you have built. Watch your masterpiece at work and celebrate that. Wow. Really profound. And um, you've also touched on promoting unity within a team. Often you find that if you have a, a, a larger team, people have different opinions and at times they are not united. So we know that happens and it's normal because generally people don't agree on everything all the time. But the key question is, how do you then promote unity within a team that is divided? What is your experience in terms of that? If you are the leader and you have learned to love your team, how you approach that will start rubbing off on the people you lead. People are professional. They understand that there will be differences and that when such differences arise, there needs to be a debate. But that debate has to be done in a professional way. When you love your team, Again, it starts rubbing off and the different team members learn to love each other. When you love someone, Philip, you can have the most intense debate, but fundamentally, you know that you care about that person 
and that person cares about you. If that understanding is established, then you enable whatever debate uh, or whatever discussion is to happen. There may be very divergent views, but if there's love involved, there's care, there's understanding, then no matter how divergent the views become, it doesn't get personal. And if it doesn't get personal, then you, are, you have a better shot at achieving harmony within the team. So again, demonstrate the love, remove, deal with the gossip, deal with whatever negative energy there may be within the team, create space for love to, to form and for the team to develop an understanding that says, yes, from time to time, we will not agree on certain things, but in the interest of the business, we will debate matters without being personal, agree on the best thing for the company, but know that we have each other's backs as a team, regardless of race, gender, age. When a team has a common purpose, then it doesn't matter how intense the debate gets. They will always find their way back to each other for the in the interest rather of the company or that organization. We thank you so much, man. We could talk about this like <laughs> we can talk about this for hours. Um, this is almost my last question. Um, we've spoken about this more in a sense of somebody maybe that's in a managerial position or executive position. What is your advice in terms of people that are just starting out in junior levels and are aspiring to become great leaders where do you feel they should start and what is i mean is it really worth it to be a great leader does it always lead to you getting promoted and becoming an executive or is it just good for performance in the area where you you are what is your advice for younger people that are just starting out in their careers and they're in junior levels but want to become great leaders Beautiful question once again. So there are a few things that an aspiring leader can do. One of the quickest way to learn how to lead is to identify someone more senior than you. Identify someone uh, who not only do you aspire to become like, but you respect. You respect their ethics. You respect how they show up and find a way to connect with that individual. If you are lucky, that person could be your manager or your leader. When that is the case, then your job is to observe and try and replicate the things that you like. So that's the one aspect. The other aspect is read as much as you can. Read like a demon. Don't stop. And don't limit your reading to one subject. It could be management theory, leadership books, but it could also just be generic or general things on just about anything. As a manager or a leader, you need to be ready to respond um, when the team is stuck in a situation. If you're not reading, then how are you able to lead your perspective? 
perspective is so limited. So find good material to read, but I don't think you can replace the value of mentorship. Mentorship is something that we talk about, but I don't think we talk about it enough to have a sounding board, someone who will guide you. They won't necessarily give you the answers, but they will guide you. But it will also allow you to have the confidence in the knowledge that there's someone who's waiting to take your call when you need some guidance. And a mentor may talk to you about books to read. They may talk to you about how to discipline employees. They may talk to you about how to achieve team harmony. Um, so just on top of my head, I would think of those three things. Find someone to emulate. Read as much as you can on whatever topic. The, the wider your range, the better. And then look for a mentor who can guide you when you're stuck. You may think you know at 27, 28, but trust me, you need time to have perspective. A mentor will give you that perspective. Uh, so that should be my advice, Philip, to look for people that you admire and find a way to pull those people into your space. You will need them to guide you uh, through your journey. Thank you so much, um, Avarengi. I think most people listening to the show um, might also be entrepreneurs. And I would like, um, now it is really a final question. <laughs> I'd like to, to get from you what your view is in terms of how, how, how leadership applies to entrepreneurship and how I mean, based on your experience, how certain behaviors can be adopted by entrepreneurs who just are starting out and maybe do not have a lot of team members, but would like to have some leadership skills that allow their businesses to move forward. What, 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 what is your advice to, 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 to those entrepreneurs that want to just have better leadership and help their businesses succeed? Yeah, yeah thanks for that. And I, I need to be carefully in how I answer that, mostly because my experience has mostly been from a corporate perspective in terms of entrepreneurship. It will come from maybe engaging with entrepreneurs. And, and even when you do that, and you've pointed it out in your question, there is a difference between an entrepreneur who's starting up versus someone who's been in the game and they've built a big company because when that happens, then it becomes a corporate environment. So their rules are a bit different. I would think for a startup, uh, for a startup rather, as you building your team, you won't have the means to attract the brightest talents. So you may, you will definitely not have the money. What you will have is the dream, the inspiration to aspire or to rather inspire your team, the new team that you're recruiting, to believe in the same thing that you believe, to buy into the dream, buy into the bigger vision. Because when that happens, they're able to say, you know what, I'm not earning a lot, but I can see where we are going. I can see where we are going to be in three, in four, in five years' time. So I think you will need to, to hone or cultivate your skills to inspire a team to believe in a common cause. 
if you can do that, I think people will bet for you. People will die for you. They will work for a fraction of what they will get anywhere else because they believe in your vision. So I would think for a startup entrepreneur, if you have a good vision and you can articulate what that vision is, you can find yourself attracting people who you otherwise wouldn't be able to because you don't have the financial means. But just by purely describing what the vision is, I think you may be surprised at the type of talent that you may be able to attract. Um, so Philip, that's sort of what I think as an aspiring entrepreneur, the focus really has to be on selling your vision and getting the people that you need on your side to believe in what you're trying to do. Yeah, thanks, man. And I think it it also, I mean, what you've mentioned in terms of connecting with people, because one of the of the things that I've also noticed and is that most entrepreneurs are just trying and needing to connect to people a lot, a whole lot. Because it's either you're applying for funding or you need somebody technical to help you in your business. I mean, in terms of what you've shared, take, <laughs> taking walks and connecting with people, very important. So I think, and entrepreneurs also get busy. So it will help a lot for, you know, to connect and, you know, so it just, it just helps a lot to connect with people because you always need somebody. Um, so I do think that some of the things you, you've mentioned are really have really been profound. And thank you so much, Awaringi, for having joined us today. It's always been a pleasure to talk to you. Um, are there any final words before, before you leave? Yeah, thank you again for the invitation. When you asked a question, it's always interesting because if you get a split second to reflect, I've enjoyed reflecting on the questions that you posed because uh, how I respond to that, I think helps me better understand the concept. Uh, so that's my takeaway, but hopefully uh, one or two of your listeners maybe uh, will take something away. You always hope that you can influence at least one person from a conversation. Uh, but on my side, through the questions that you posed, I learned a lot, but I also took notes on what needs to be explored further. So thank you for the invitation. Thank you for the questions, because I've got question marks now that I need to go and explore. And I think as human beings, as long as you have something to explore, you have a reason to leave. So thank you for your time. Thanks, man. This has really been profound and I've particularly personally enjoyed it. Uh, thanks for joining us. God bless you. Thank you, Philip. Cheers, everybody. Bye. Well, you've had it all right here on Power Tools to Success. Remain inspired. Move all mountains and obstacles that stand in the way of your success. Do not dare give up on yourself and your dreams. Thank you for joining us. To consult, reach us, or subscribe to our newsletter, please visit www.philiprampisa.com.